Every once in a while we get a request to do a song off uh, an album that you can't find anywhere. You can very, very hard to find it. This is off an album called uh, Cold Spring Harbor. Now, uh, I'm not, you know, I like the songs, but the record was kind of speeded up and it made my voice sound like a chipmunk on it. So when they speed up a record, your, your voice comes out high, you know, like you sing like this, and your voice comes out like that, you know. So uh, anyway, this is a this is a song called "She's Got Away." Hi, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. She's got a way about her. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can't live without her. She's got a way of pleasing mm, I don't know why it is But there doesn't have to be a reason anyway She's got a smile that heals me mm, I don't know why it is But I have to laugh when she reveals me She's got a way of talking mm, Don't know why it is But it lifts me up when we are walking anywhere Greetings all and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z where we have a way of bringing you the greatest songwriter and songbook to grace a podcast. In 1971, the world got introduced to Gene Hackman, Willy Wonka, and Dirty Harry. And in November of that year, that dude from the Hassles went solo and put out his first album as a singer-songwriter entitled Cold Spring Harbor. And if you were lucky enough or unlucky enough, now that we know how the record was recorded, to purchase that album and put it on your turntable on Thanksgiving Day, while you prepared for your guests arriving, you had the pleasure to hear Billy Joel's first song off his first album entitled She's Got Away. It would lead him on a 22-year journey to famous last words and an array of hits, heartache, love, reflection, and fatherhood along the way. She's Got Away may have been released somewhere possibly in other countries in 1971, but the album and his management were such a mess. Billy rectified the situation in 1981 and re-recorded a live version for his album Songs in the Attic, where the song officially got a release exactly 10 years later on Thanksgiving of 1981 and peaked at number 23 on January 23, 1982 on the Billboard charts. Olivia Newton-John's physical was hogging the number one spot for 10 weeks. 10 weeks, Alon. <laughs> so try and get past that with your re-recorded love song when there's a song about working out that just won't go away. The songs in the attic version of She's Got Away was performed on June 1980 at the Paradise Rock Club in Boston, Massachusetts. Billboard magazine described She's Got Away as a chestnut that didn't get its proper due until the live version was released 
on Songs in the Attic. The live version of this song did not appear on the albums or cassettes of Greatest Hits Volume 2, which means Alon never heard it growing up. Nope. But does appear on the CDs and all subsequent releases of Greatest Hits Volume 2. The studio version, of course, appears on the My Lives album. And a different live version appears in the 1977 Carnegie Hall show, which has just been released. In 2013, the Billy Joel camp did officially apparently release an album called She's Got Away Love Songs, in which the live Songs in the Attic version appears on that. Interestingly, Billy also performed this song on Saturday Night Live on November 14th, 1981, but he was in his studio while recording the Nylon Curtain, even though the, the musical guests on that episode were actually the Go-Go's. Okay, mm. but more on that later. So as we make our foray for the second episode in a row in how our hero professes his love for this woman that would eventually destroy him, <laughs> where do we believe our friend Christopher Bananos, who had tepid feelings for She's Always a Woman, Place the first song ever heard that led us into being lifetime fans of Sir Billy Joel out of 121 songs, Alon. I love the intro. I think Christopher Bananos put this song at number 10. Good. I mean, he definitely made it higher than the one we did last week. And I am getting very confused when she's always a woman. She's got away. <laughs> very confused. I actually looked up today. I'm like, all right, here we go with She's Always a Woman. And I'm like, wait, no, 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 wait, we did that already. So, uh, no, he put it at 21. That's fair. But, but right. But at least that's higher up than what he had. He's like, is it a little gooey? Is it very pretty? It's both. And these things can comfortably coexist. A great American songbook song written 20 years too late to have made it into the canon. An interesting way of putting it. Hmm. Glenn Gamboa put it at they they switched in this one. Glenn Gamboa put it at 51. That's too low. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny because he had the other one at number five. So they both switched off this week and the fans rank it at 26. I think there's room for both of these songs at near the top of Billy's list. I think they're both great love songs that he's written. Oh, they're definitely great love songs. But I, I think. The one we did last week is a little better, but I love that this is his first song ever. The opening of the album of Cold Spring Harbor. And wow, I found a version of this song. Like I found it like someone playing the album, you know, with the wrong speed and everything. The actual album. Yeah. Fascinating. She comes to me when I'm feeling down and inspires me Without a sound, she touches me And I get turned around oh. Yeah, that, that high voice, it's that, you know, what is it, 15 seconds faster than the other one? It's, uh, but you kind of, when you listen to that, you can hear it with the crackles and everything, like what this really must have felt like to put on your first Billy Joel record ever. Oh, it's so, I feel so bad for him. I totally get it. So I listened to that first and it's so funny. I had no idea that it ended, the original version ended with anyway, 
and then it just cuts out cold instead of it continuing anyway. Yeah, me too. And I've I listened to the Cold Spring Harbor album a lot, but I never really think of this song as ending that abruptly until we were doing this preparing for this episode where I was like, wow, there's no he has no kind of end yeah, to it. There's not a little bit extra piano or nothing. It just ends. I don't know what it is, but I know that I can live without her anyway. Yeah, and I think that's because none of us listen to the studio version anymore. The songs in the attic one is so more prolific in the Billy Joel canon, as uh, Christopher Bonatos might say, that we are always not just waiting for the hey, like the drop off, but also the applause at the end. And that it's just so God, I remember again being in college that same year, just that I don't know who the hell was playing Billy Joel all the time besides me and the nylon curtain. But when the other back catalogs came out somewhere, maybe it was also on the just on the radio or whatever. I'm always like, why are they playing? Why is this one? Why did they choose this to be live? I had so many questions about it. Why? Why is this one? And why did he decide to do this one live? Now, knowing the full story, I'm so intrigued and fascinated by it. But I was intrigued even back then in 1982. I remember hearing this song. I'm being like, why would they play a live version on the radio like that? I don't understand. Now yeah. I know why. He was so brilliant because like no one else, I think, puts out a live album with all the songs that no one's ever heard of. But Billy knew, like, I wrote really great stuff way back when. And you guys, damn it, you need to hear this. I'm a big star now. I'm putting these things out. I'm not going to put out the original because this song sucked in the original because I've already ripped. So this is what you guys get. Boy, you're so right. I never even thought about that before. And we probably touched on it before, but you're so right. Nobody put out a live album with songs people forgot. All live albums of all the people. And remember, anybody that did well and maybe made a comeback, the next one was a live album always, because I guess they were trying to capitalize on, you know, until their next album came out. And it was always just greatest hits. Always doing a greatest hits kind of or a live album like this, which isn't a greatest hits album, which now it is looking backwards. You're right. Truly brilliant. I wonder if uh, Elizabeth had something to do with that at that point. I don't know. No, she would be way gone no. by then, right? No, she, but she was still in the picture near the end of the marriage, but she totally would have said, no, do your hits. We want this to sell. And Billy was probably like, no, I got to put out the stuff that I know was great that they never got to hear because my because no one was listening. No one bought Turnstiles. No one bought Cold Spring Harbor. No one brought, bought Street Life Serenade. So somebody must have. I, I can't imagine he thought of it himself for some reason. I, I feel like that maybe Phil Ramone said that or something i heard Somebody, that i heard that liberty thought of it no <laughs> you know that's not true i uh, don't know just as we were talking about the anyway hey his biographer the guy that did fred Schurz that did the biography on him he says that the last word anyway as uh, he, he describes it as hanging in the air trailing off and disrupting the tempo and thus seemingly giving in to the emotion of love that's pretty poetic, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, a really interesting way of looking at it. And it does make a big difference because when, like you both of us said, you hear the studio version, it just cuts. We're like waiting for that anyway. Uh, and it, when it doesn't come, it's it's jarring. <laughs> yeah, I guess because we know about the later version. That's why we're always expecting it. I guess. But still, it's just it's it's missing it. I mean, I want it. Yeah, I like the later version. I like that. It's better. 
Yeah, and the production obviously on the first album was not good, and this song, I mean, it wasn't just a solo on the album. He, uh, you know, he had a little bit of drums. I think there's a little bit of strings in there, but it could have definitely used some some work. So it's good that he got to revisit it in '81. Um, and it's pretty cool that Billy Joel again thought to put this out as the single from Songs in the Attic. And you could definitely tell, even though this was the first song he ever put out, that he always really, really liked it. And that other artists also think this is one of his best songs. Because when you look at like, anytime he gets honored, this is one of the songs that gets played. Like he did the Kennedy Center honors, Don Henley sings it. He did the, uh, he won the Gershwin Prize and Natalie Maines sang it. You know, this is well after his whole career is over. We can pick any song from his catalog and people always will go and make this one of those songs. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. With not, I'm still mad at Natalie Maines for that other one, the Piano Man one. So I'm not talking to her. But the Don Henley at the Kennedy Center, you're absolutely right. I don't know any other artist that was honored at the Kennedy Center where they pick the first song the guy ever wrote as the one, unless somebody's just known for that song and nothing else. You know, so yeah. it's very rare to choose the first song to sing that's that's when you knew the guy was like a prodigy i mean who who whose first song is their one of their greatest songs i mean and and then to have the kind of career that billy's had with hit after hit where people aren't remembering that song and then you go back and you're like you know it turns out his first song was actually just as good as we didn't start the fire or <laughs> i mean it's, yeah. just, it's, it's really something else and then the funny thing when you think about it when i was going over it 71 to 94 it's just, it's only a 20 year thing he has all these hits just 20 years it seems it's very short compared to a lot of people that are but but, but that does happen a lot and you forget with bands they don't last very long it's very rare like we've talked about before would it be the rolling stones or the who 20 years is a long time for because i guess he was solo and he didn't have a band band you know the police you know, probably lasted yeah. 10 years. The Beatles lasted 10 years. We know that's most bands don't make it past 10 years. Yeah. But and and like the Beatles really only were popular and huge for like six or seven years before they broke up. So it's like, it was extremely condensed and uh, yeah, it's the kind of thing like at the time, I'm sure a 22 year career seems super long for Billy. But now when you look back now with that, we're both older, right? 22 years seems to go by really fast. And you're like, that's like if he just started recording in the year 2000 and then stopped now. And you would, I would consider that a current band. I would still be like, oh, yeah, that's like the Strokes or something, you know? Well, I think it also has to do with the fact that he's still so popular in all those MSG shows. And then you keep forgetting that he hasn't recorded in 20 years as well. You know, that he was on for 20 years and then off for 20 years. It's very, it's a very strange situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to go back to something you were just talking about, which was like how amazing it is to start off your very first album with like one of your best songs. And I looked up a list of like great debut album first songs. Uh, you had Break On Through from The Doors. That was their very first song. Brown Eyed Girl, Van Morrison's first song. Tearing Up My Heart by Sync, Huh? <laughs> but to know to put what ends up being your best song from the album up front and not say, oh, let's make this the number three track or something is... You know, it's pretty cool that like the first time anyone ever heard these bands, what they heard was like they heard Purple Haze from Jimi Hendrix. They heard Blitzkrieg Bop from the Ramones. They heard more than a feeling from the from Boston. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that is pretty cool. There's a lot of cover versions of this song. Did you listen to some of them? Well, the only one I, I, I didn't. Uh, who, who covered it? 
So uh, this guy, well, on American Idol, this guy, Joshua Ledette did it. And actually, it's not a terrible version. It gets gospel at the end and it kind of works. This lady in 1974 named Margie Joseph wrote a, a, a femme version called He's Got Away, which uh, then Bernadette Peters covered in like 1993, which you probably would like because it was a more Broadway style version of the song. Well, you know what's weird about that? What? She was the host of that Saturday Night Live that he performed this song on. Oh, wow. Wow. I hope that wasn't your trivia question. It was not. Okay. <laughs> that would have been a perfect one. What person who once covered this song was also the host on SNL? The worst version cover is Jordan Knight from uh, New Kids on the Block. Did this in like the mid 2000s. And he was performing it on some morning TV show. Like just an awful thing. And before it starts, he says, I'm going to do a song called She's Got Away by Billy Joel. And then he goes, well, by Jordan Knight now. Oh, God. And then he sucks, of course. What a well, tool. The, the only one I heard was the Barbershop Harmony Society version. Did you, Which is that? Uh, it's a it's a full barbershop. I, don't, I can't say quartet because it's like a full like, you know, 50 guys singing a acapella barbershop version of this song. It's good, but it's also uh, really creepy. Uh, okay. Yeah, I did <laughs> not hear it. Moving, it's really weird, <laughs> but it doesn't sound horrible. She comes to me when I'm feeling down, inspires me without a sound. She touches me, I get turned around. Turned around. Now she's got a smile that gives me hope. And I don't know why I have to laugh when she reveals me. But it, it's, I don't know, it feels like it's like a bunch of gay guys singing. <laughs> like, she's got away. <laughs> <laughs> she, wink. Exactly. There was a good jazzy version also that was on YouTube. Like a really cool like jazz quartet, like rock jazz. I did hear that one. That was excellent. Yeah, those guys were good. They made it into something interesting. Yeah. She got away about So there's a there's a video that somebody just recorded where he did it at MSG in 2018 before the world fell apart. Yeah, I saw that one where. Yeah. And he do he, you saw that? So he sings it after giving a choice between that and everybody. Everybody loves you now. That's the one Right, yeah. he gives a choice and they pick that one. And it's just, again, talking about that. This is the first song he ever wrote or at least. That's what we think because the first song in the album, the first song, the first album, first solo song. So 
the place just starts singing right away as soon as he starts. And it's so moving when you think about him and probably being so upset about Cold Spring Harbor and the way it was recorded and it didn't go anywhere. And then, you know, he makes another album, which does okay, but he's probably, but clearly he's upset. She's got a way as a really good song. And as you said, he's smart enough to re-record it. So that, I mean, that's the first song he ever wrote as a solo artist and everyone's singing along 40 years later. That's got to make you feel something special. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy is like, so that's, 2018. And then we go way back to 1973 when Denny Somak recorded Live at the Roxy, that show that we talked to Denny about where it was the first time Billy headlined. And when Billy Joel plays She's Got Away on that show, the crowd gives a great response afterwards. And he says, not bad. You know the record. That's weird. So it's the same thing 45 years later where he's really moved that the crowd is singing along to this song that he felt when he first headlined and couldn't believe that the crowd knew this song. I heard, I think I heard the Carnegie Hall one and it sounded when he said he were going to play it, it sounded like the crowd wasn't that into it. And then after he played it, they got it and there was better applause. That was probably like the worst time for them to hear it in a way, because like in 73, there were some people obviously in this little area of Allentown that knew the song because this guy was playing it on the radio a lot. In 77, it's before Songs in the Attic. So it's definitely been forgotten by then, except for like the diehard fans. But they just appreciated it because it's a damn good song. Well, that's also before The Stranger came out, I think, right? That yeah. Carnegie Hall concert. So I guess they were just, I don't even know what they were there for. They, I guess they were the few people who really remembered Piano Man and uh, and also probably were the five people who bought Turnstiles. Right, exactly. So yeah, what they expect them to play. So I don't know why they were so tepid about it. If you go to see him at Carnegie Hall, you're up to something. Yeah, but it's also such a hard album to find. Even if you were a Billy Joel fan back then, it was still hard to find Cold Spring Harbor. You could find the other albums that he had put out at that point. So let's get to the obvious again. Uh, Hopefully this will be the last time we talk about her, but he wrote this song as a Valentine's Day gift for evil Elizabeth. (laughs) I get the feeling that when he told her that it was a Valentine's Day gift, that she probably said, oh, it's a gift. Uh, Then sign over the publishing rights to me. (laughs) Of course she did. He said he was too poor to buy anything, so he wrote the song. He wanted to write a very simple love song that could only be played on the piano. And he said he was influenced by George Harrison's something and or Joe Cocker's You Are So Beautiful. And it's a very simple chord progression. Yeah. And by the way, just another backtrack to that 2018 February show. At the end of it, he says, I always imagined Joe Cocker singing this song. And then he starts singing it like Joe Cocker. Oh, maybe that was a a longer video version than what you saw. It was pretty cool to hear him do that because he loves his Joe Cocker impersonation. He sure does. The timeline on when he wrote this. So 1970, I think Elizabeth was probably still married to John Small, his bandmate. So he was having this affair, wrote this song about her. A little sketchy. Yeah, that's when that guy, uh, John, is listening and he's like, it sounds uh, a lot like my wife. (laughs) You're not writing about her, are you? No, no, no. I, uh, you know, it's just about a girl I met. Well, who? You know, that girl I was telling you about. uh, What's her name? Betty. (laughs) Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my waitress, I know. Don't worry about it. Why is my wife crying whenever you play it? (laughs) I don't know. She's emotional. (laughs) You know her. You know, (laughs) Lizzie. (laughs) You know the way she gets. But I could see where I could see the something connection because it's very it's very easy. and, And I think there's a very simple chord progression in something. That's what makes something so good. 
Yeah, and the, rep- the repetition of the lyrics. Something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. Something in the way she woos me. I don't want to leave her now. It's just like it's just like how Billy keeps repeating, she's got away. Yeah. It's a very beautiful song. And I love that ending when they and I I really drives me crazy if I don't hear the applause at the end. Songs in the Attic one is the one. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It is. I do like the original though, also, just because of how just to picture him being so young and like, wow, this is my first, you know, studio recording and what what it must have felt like to do it. I still feel bad about the way it was all put together. That's yeah. the thing. The studio court, the studio recording, unfortunately, is not real. It's you know, they it's not an honest recording because even if they, it, it's all manufactured because even they, they have to slow it down. So it's not a real recording. And I think that's the issue with when you're listening to something off Cold Spring Harbor. You mean the version that they put out in 83 that was remastered where they slowed it slightly? Yeah. And I think they probably redid the backing music yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's not the honest version. And that's what makes the songs in the attic a little bit better. Yeah. The way we know about it. So Billy has played this song quite a bit live, not a ton. But again, we don't have good numbers on the things he did in the 70s. I'm sure he played it a lot in the 70s, but the stats on that, there's not a lot of set lists that we know of. But he's played this 71 times. It's the 48th most played song. He's played it twice so far this year in 2022. So he's it's part of the set list now. That's interesting. He basically stopped playing it in 81. I wonder what happened in his life then, why he would stop playing the song. Oh, yeah, divorce with this uh, horrible first wife. Then he picked it up again in the 98 tour, and then he didn't play it too much until 2017. And since then, it's been a few times a year. It's weird to take it out in 81 since that's when Songs in the Attic came out. So it's so strange. But yeah, so he took out three songs out of his thing because he hated this woman. And can you blame him? It's uh, it's just kind of weird. You, you should always be careful when you write songs about somebody you might hate later. If you're going to make them so good, Billy. <laughs> that's why he no, hedged it later on and made worse songs about his wives right exactly make more christy lee's and that way you don't have to worry <laughs> about taking them out of your act yeah well dave it's time for the trivia portion of the show do you have a stumper for me yes uh as i said earlier i said we would get to this billy joel performed this song and another on november 14 1981 from his recording studio on SNL. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. I've never heard of that before, is it? Although Bernadette Peters was the host that evening, it was two of the cast members who had an actual fight to determine who would introduce Billy Joel. Because I, my guess is, because I haven't seen the episode because it's hard to find, that Bernadette Peters introduced the Go-Go's. So then two of the cast members had a fight to determine, no, I'm going to introduce him. No, I'm going to introduce him. An actual fight, like they were wrestling. Who were those two cast members and who won? Okay, so I'm going to say one was Joe Piscopo. Correct. And that's because he fought for Billy Joel, that's why Billy put him in that music video a couple of years later. Excellent. Uh, I don't know, Eddie Murphy? Exactly. Oh, really? Who won? Uh, Piscopo. Eddie Murphy was a scrawny little 20-year-old. Eddie Murphy won. Oh, really? Okay. And he introduced Billy Joel. And uh, what uh, do you know? uh, Just a a bonus trivia question. Do you know the other song he sang that night? No, I don't. Miami 2017. Wow, cool. Now, I don't know what the hell was happening that they had the Go-Go's and another 
musician from a feed somewhere else. I mean, it's so strange, but uh, it turned out the director who was directing Billy's segment was Don Allmeyer. And you know how much we hate him? Yes. Because he was responsible for firing our boy. Norm McDonald. Norm McDonald. Exactly. So, so this is the way the show worked. And this is really strange. If you ever see it, I guess, I guess you can get it on Hulu. You get a teaser that Billy Joel will be performing later from his, they say his home studio, but I think it's the studio. Where, and I'm assuming he was recording the nylon curtain. Well, I yeah. can't leave. We're in the middle of recording, which of course is ridiculous. You're recording 1130 at night. So then the Go-Go's go on stage and perform. Our lips are sealed. Then there's two sketches. So they're not, they're not promoting the Go-Go's. <laughs> they're promoting, hey, Billy Joel's coming up. And, and now the Go-Go's. <laughs> then there's two sketches. Then Piscopo and Murphy start fighting over who's going to introduce Billy Joel. But, but then they don't introduce Billy Joel. They fight to see who's going to introduce him. Then Bernadette Peters performs a song about masturbation <laughs> called Making Love Alone. Then Billy Joel performs 2017, Miami 2017. Then there's a short film, then a sketch. Then the Go-Go's perform We Got the Beat, and then a sketch. And then Billy Joel finally performs She's Got Away. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a very musical episode. Number Out one. of nowhere. Where does that come from? I feel like Don Olmeyer was the kind of jerk who would be like, we got to have a musical guest in the studio. That's the way we do it. So if Billy won't come in the studio, then we got to get the Go-Go's too, who will play it here. And by the way, Our Lips Are Sealed, which you mentioned, was the first song on the Go-Go's debut album. One point, you're absolutely right. And they really hit it. They hit it big. But you can't go to a concert without them playing that song. You can go to a concert without Billy Joel playing this and still say, yes. 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 We had the best time. The Go-Go's don't play that song. You're going to see them. You're going to storm the stage. Absolutely. They, they've had many riots, many a riot at a Go-Go show. You're going to pull a Will Smith on them and just be really angry. <laughs> Someone just slapped a Go-Go. Don't you dare keep our lips are sealed out of my wife's mouth or whatever. <laughs> I got that all wrong, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that I, I yeah, I see what you're saying now that they wanted Billy Joel and they said, I can't come in. So then they got, okay, that makes sense. And apparently the Go-Go's were, it's known for a very lackluster performance on the Go-Go's end. They weren't good on that show. And they have recently said they were also drunk. <laughs> so makes sense. So thank God for Billy Joel, apparently. Yeah. Now but it's very strange. I've never heard of such a thing before. Yeah, but I guess it's like those early years of SNL. There wasn't as much of a formula as there is now, and also it was not. not it was when Lauren Michaels was already was gone at this point. He was point. gone. Yeah. So yeah, the whole format was out the window. I guess so. I was watching after Billy Joel's performance of this song. It goes to the next sketch in the video that I saw, and it's a sketch called Rock and Roll Heaven. Yeah, right. And it's like a company that's like monetizing on dead rock stars. And there's one point where one of the guys says, uh, I forget what the product was, one of the products that bombed. And he was like, it lays like a locks. Oh, which is Billy Joel's phrase about Billy's favorite something. Line. Yeah. Right. But I forget what song he said it about, but that's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Right. I can't remember. I'm trying to think now what was the song he said it, but I totally remember him saying that absolute quote. I wonder if he got it from that day. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? All right, we're going to try something we've never played before. They lay like a lox. This is called House of Blue Lights. But 
but it's exciting that Eddie Murphy introduced him. I'd like to get that clip somehow, but uh, it's difficult. Mm. I don't want to pay for Hulu. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a trivia question for me, Alon? Yes, I do. My trivia question is, what other song released in 1971 that just like She's Got Away was written about another man's wife? Well, what is that song? And hint, the song is about the same woman who inspired one of the songs that Billy Joel got inspired to write She's Got Away about. That was terribly worded. Yeah, that was terribly worded. I can try I'll again. Just, I'll just say Rosanna. No, I know <laughs> no, it's from 71. I know, I know. I just want to, because that's the only one I know that was written about somebody else's girlfriend in the band, <laughs> Toto. I, I don't want you to say it again. I, I want to figure it out on my own. 71 about another. Okay, wait, I might have it. Is it a Clapton song? Yes. All right. It's about George Harrison's wife, right? Yes. Is it Layla? It's Layla. Ho, ho. What's up, yo? Yes. <laughs> I figured it out just from the year and then was thinking of stuff. Wow. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. I, despite my terrible wording of that. But basically, something which Billy Joel was inspired to write this song for, uh, something was George Harrison's song about his wife, Patty Boyd. And then a couple years later, George Har uh, Eric Clapton was in, in love with Patty Boyd. So he wrote Layla about her. And then he actually got to steal her away from George Harrison. The rare switcheroo. Yeah. And and they were still friends, just like Billy and uh, this Smalls guy. Yeah. Guys can do that. Guys can remain friends. Guys after can a thing completely like this. do that. And but I mean, it takes a while. You got to get through it. But usually guys can totally get it's really interesting. Yeah. I bet Billy and John at one point were just like, man, isn't Elizabeth kind of like a handful? <laughs> right. See, I told, told you, you not to be in love with her. She was trouble. <laughs> I always think this is the stupidest thing, but I always <laughs> there's a Sex in the City episode where Big and that other guy she was dating, uh, you know, the furniture guy, you know, she had the two big love interests in her life, Mr. Big and the other guy, John something. Or, no, John is Aiden. What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they meet for the first time out in this uh, place and they fight like in the mud. They like they finally can't take it anymore and they just beat each other up. And at the end, after they get it out of their systems, I always remember this episode. They're sitting in this cabin. It's just the three of them. And Mr. Big's having problems with his current girlfriend. And he says to uh, Aiden, and he goes, you see, the problem is she can call me, but I can't call her. And Aiden just goes, that's fucked up. And Sarah Jessica Parker's like, what, what, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like, she just can't <laughs> understand. They're completely bonding and <laughs> talking after they just tried to kill each other. And that is truly men, I guess, a, a great example of, uh, for some reason, how that can work. And the thing is, see... She could reach me, but I could never get her. Day or night, whenever, she could reach me, I couldn't get her. See? That's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Somehow, the storm had passed, and I never fully understood why. Okay, maybe men and women don't live in the same zip code, but we're moving closer. I don't know. I guess they just get it out of their systems and it's and that's that. At least in TV. That always happens in movies, right? There's a big fight and then they're like, okay, now we respect each other. Yeah, but there's something true. We just mentioned two examples where the guy, I mean, Clapton and Harrison were 
close until the end. And Bill and John wasn't what's his name? John Smalls? John Small. Wasn't he directing Billy's videos? Yeah, they were still bros. I mean, that's what we're talking about, that he was directing his videos when videos came out in the 80s. I mean, that's something else. Yeah. So it happens in real life, too. Maybe it's just musicians. And then otherwise it's on TV. Yeah, like Eric Clapton and George Harrison just had a guitar off. That's how they settled it. They're like (laughs) the best guitar solo right now. You go, I go. Yeah, I would settle it with ping pong. Yeah. Right. So, Weird Alon taking on Billy Joel's first song, the first time anybody heard solo artist Billy Joel taking on his first song on the first side of the of an album no one ever heard <laughs> correctly until 1981. What do you have for us today? Okay, so today I have My Fish Got Away. Please no. No, it's about fishing. Oh, God, it really is. I thought you were kidding. I thought you were doing a dummy one first and then be like, ha, ha, ha. What is the real one called? So not only am I doing My Fish Got Away, but I kind of, I don't know. This was an easy one to write, so I just wrote the whole song. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll do it a little quicker than, than Billy's version, so it won't okay. be, it won't be uh, the longest. I forgot what we did that. the already ripped version. Yeah, I'm going to already rip it out. Okay. My fish got away this morning. The bastard took my worm. And swam away without a warning. My fish got away this evening. The asshole broke my line. And now I'm sitting here and grieving hungrily. I cast away into the pond. I waited there without a sound, sat patiently until he took it down. My fish got away for God's sakes. I got nothing to eat. My dinner's gonna be some cornflakes. My fish got away. I'm steaming. He came and took my bait while I was sitting here daydreaming about catching him. It came to me and took a bite. I reeled it in. It gave a fight. I pulled too hard and then it felt too light. Oh, My fish got away, how rude. He must think I'm a schmuck who likes to give away free food. This fish has ruined my whole night. Next time I'll skip the worms and just toss in a stick of dynamite. Dinner's on. I have misplaced my pants. Uh, Dude, you gotta go, dinner's on. Otherwise, you're leaving us hanging. We just talked about that. What the hell's the matter with you? You're right. It's like a rainy day on the pond when you're sitting there in your rowboat and there's nothing biting. You're calling fish stupid like it's their fault. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Canceled. (laughs) This guy's (laughs) anti-fish. I'm anti-fish from Barney Miller. I don't know. Is that a guy named fish? Yeah, I went there. We almost made it without a 70s TV reference. Almost. <laughs> Not likely you're going to do that. <laughs> Not bloody likely. That's right. Well, folks, that was She's Got Away. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. 
Did you know that Billy performed this on SNL? And isn't it cool that Eddie Murphy fought to introduce him? So cool. Do we all agree that the live version from Songs in the Attic is the best version of the song? Yeah. Yep. Does anyone out there actually have an original 1971 copy of Cold Spring Harbor with the chipmunk voice? <laughs> and do you think we're finally done with songs about Elizabeth? God, I hope so. There's got to be. Well, no, I think our next song is probably about her also. She's right on time. Why would he write a song about her in 1980 off a 1982 album? It was right at the end of the marriage, but she was the lady in his life. All right, more to be continued. Next time, <laughs> I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. She's got a smile that heals me. Reveals me, she's got a way about her.